Good. How are you? All right? <laughs> Good. Parents will be coming back in to join us in the next few minutes. I just had a quick word with a little girl as she was walking out here, uh, one of the children in reception class at Tyndale School, uh, who I sat down with. And I was in Tyndale. So for those of you who don't know, we started a new school in September called Tyndale Community School. I was sat down there having lunch on Thursday. I popped in to see the head teacher and uh, sat down to have lunch. And on my table was a little girl who's here this morning. And uh, she started coming with her family to church here the last few weeks. And she said to me, Mr. Jones, she said, I go to church every week. I said, that's great. I said, what do you do? She said, I go to group. So that was very encouraging. And then she said to me, she turned around to me and said, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, she said, do you ever go to church? I said, yeah, yeah. It's, it is part of my life. Um, I hope it's a part of your life as well, and you're not just here for a one-off. If you are here for a one-off, I hope that this morning will be the start of a new pattern of life for you. We're looking this morning, I'm sure the PowerPoint will appear in a moment, with some bricks on. Oh, it's there. It, it, it's like magic, isn't it? Um, okay. I'm just hesitating for a moment because each week I'm trying to change the ratio of my slides to better fit the screen. <laughs> I'm, I'm nearly there. It's, get, it's getting better, but it's not quite there. Okay. So, this morning we're continuing a series. We're looking at this theme of one body, many parts, which is all about the church. And last week we started that series... And I took a bit of time to talk about how God is building up his church, not just OCC, but right across the city. God is building up his church. There are more and more churches being planted across the city. God has done a tremendous work in this city uh, over the last few decades. And we can have every confidence that he is continuing to build his church. We looked in Zechariah 4 where there was a promise given to Zerubbabel the prince, and uh, for Joshua the high priest, as they were building a temple after the exile, and the promise was, Zerubbabel has laid the foundation, he will complete it. And the same's true for what Jesus is doing with the temple that he's building. That temple now is a community of people, living stones, built together. He's laid the foundation, he will complete it. It doesn't depend on how good we are. That's good news, isn't it? It doesn't depend on how organized we are. That's really good news. It depends on what Jesus is doing amongst us. So we're carrying on uh, looking at this theme of what it is to be one body, many parts. And this morning, we're looking, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12 in a little bit and go through that chapter of Scripture. So you might want to turn to that even as I'm speaking. And... The theme for this morning is being a spiritual body. As God builds us together, living stones, brick on brick on brick, to become a temple for the Holy Spirit, he's building a community where people can meet with God. A community where God's love and power are living realities. A community where people will come in and say, surely God is with you. God is alive and well in your midst. We are a spiritual body. So this week, 
We're going to run through 1 Corinthians 12, what is perhaps the key passage in the New Testament, on what it means in practice to be a spiritual body. And uh, just to give you fair warning, before we finish this morning, we're going to be getting out of our seats and praying for one another, and uh, I believe there's going to be a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this place this morning. That's where we're headed before we're done, because it really would be silly to talk about being a spiritual body and not to live the reality of it, wouldn't it? So let's read the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 12. About spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. 
On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Wow. As ever, there's an ocean of rich truth in there. I'm going to make seven points. With some speed pausing one or, a little bit longer on one or two of them, and then we are going to pray together. So here we, are, here we go, through the chapter in order, bringing out seven points that this passage teaches us. This is a picture drawn representing Jesus' baptism when the Holy Spirit came down like a dove upon Jesus. Right at the beginning of this chapter, it makes it clear that Christianity always involves the Holy Spirit and true spirituality is always about Jesus. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. When we talk about the church being a spiritual body, this is about the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. It is an eternal truth that we are indeed a spiritual body, but this is brought into living reality by the ongoing activity of the Holy Spirit amongst us. The church is always to be a place where the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus has sent, is welcomed, active, and the manifestation of his presence is seen in all kinds of ways. Some Christians are nervous of the Holy Spirit. But Christianity always involves the Holy Spirit. No one can say, verse 3, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's him who brings the revelation of who Jesus is. It's as the Spirit blows where he wills, Jesus told us in John 3, that people are born again. It's the Spirit who saves. It's the Spirit who heals, who speaks. There is no Christianity without the Holy Spirit. 
It's equally true that true spirituality is always about Jesus. Because there are, it's worth saying this, because there are a number of people who value spiritual experience above dogma. It's probably the most common perception that we have in our day and age, that it's what you experience that really matters. And the word dogma, which ought to be understood as the foundational word on which we are built by Christ, actually has this sort of negative feeling that an experience should in any way be authoritative and mean certain fixed things is really unfashionable. And so it's common for lots of people today, even people who've received the Holy Spirit, still to perceive spirituality as a kind of, you know, the spirits at work in many places, which is, of course, true. God is so merciful that he's at work in every corner of this world, but the work of the Spirit is seen in people turning to Christ. The Spirit, (laughs) Jesus and the Spirit, together with the Father, are one. The Holy Spirit does not know how to work except by drawing attention to Jesus. He's never been separate from Jesus for all eternity. It is not possible that there could be a true spirituality except that it points to Christ. The Holy Spirit causes people to say, as it says in 1 John 4, 2, it says this, this is how you could recognize the Spirit of God. Where is true spirituality? Where is the Spirit of God at work? This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It may be that you've been a little bit too conservative, a little bit too nervous of what the Holy Spirit might do. And this morning, God wants to say to you, look, I've got so much to offer you by my Spirit. Open up your heart. Open up your life. You can trust me. It may be that this morning, God wants to say to you something a little bit different, which is that you've been a little bit too woolly and a little bit more generous than Jesus himself was and have failed to discern that unless it's the Spirit, unless the Spirit is drawing attention to Jesus, it's not the work of God. God wants to bring us in from those two wrong ways of thinking and to help us to see Jesus and the Holy Spirit love each other. They're always at work together. That's the first thing about this body, if we're a spiritual body, then we are so in Christ and in him alone. Secondly, spiritual gifts are given for active service, not just as playthings. Who likes playing with power tools? (laughs) Great, I do. Um, We are the dangerous people. And uh, here we go. I brought a couple of tools from home. Um, I was going to do a little competition to see who could build like some bookshelves quickest <laughs> with a normal screwdriver or with an electric screwdriver. And I thought, well, actually, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, when God gives spiritual gifts, it's like shifting us from working in our own strength with a tool that whatever it is we may have, but that's 
going to take us a while, or he empowers us to do something, the sound of the Holy Spirit at work. (laughs) Not really. But there's, (laughs) I'm sure he's a lot louder than that. There's power that God pours into our lives by his Holy Spirit, but it's not just for a laugh. I've heard stories of um, people trying to practice walking on water in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just kind of fun idea. I think they probably ended up very wet. Um, Our friend Joshua David, uh, who is an Indian evangelist, tells the story of when he and his brother were first filled with the Spirit and understood that the Scripture says that with just a tiny bit of faith, you can tell a mountain to fall into the sea, and they tried to practice on the brick wall in their garden and spent hours, literally hours, commanding bricks to fly through the air in their teens. And uh, they didn't see much success. And there's actually a reason for that. It's because these spiritual gifts are given for purpose. It says here in verses 4 to 6, different gifts, same spirit, different kinds of service. The gifts that are given are given that we might serve God effectively to make a difference as he would have us do so. Um, there are, of course, there are stories I could tell of things that God is doing now in people's lives by his spirit. But actually, some of the most exciting things that God has done recently you know, bring about such change and turbulence in people's lives that it's not always... We have to wait a little bit longer before we can tell the testimony. So I'm just going to instead read out something from a book of John Wimbers where he tells a great story of the kind that we're talking about here. It's, it's actually, it is great fun when the Holy Spirit moves, but it's always for redemptive purpose. For example, he says, uh, a member of our church, uh, Luana DeWitt, experienced a remarkable vision. She and her husband were involved with a Christian halfway house for recently paroled prison inmates. While praying One morning, for an evening Bible study group at the halfway house, Luana saw in her mind the picture of a tattoo with the word pride. She didn't know what it meant, so she gave it no more thought. Then that evening, at the halfway house, Luana began God sensing, now here's something to hear from God, that the man sitting on the floor directly in front of her had raped a woman and had not been caught. Only he and his victim knew about the rape. Luana was unsure if this was God speaking to her, but she sensed more details coming from the Holy Spirit. The woman he had raped was named Cheryl. The man was ashamed of his horrible secret, and God had brought him to the meeting. Still, Luana was not sure if she was hearing God's voice or if this was her overworked imagination. The idea of accusing someone of rape on a sense from God made her uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, So she decided to keep it to herself, until he turned around and she saw the tattoo on his arm, just as she'd seen in her time of prayer. It was identical. Luana felt that the tattoo verified that she was hearing from God. Next, she sensed the Lord saying, just the opposite of pride lives in his heart. He's full of self-hatred because of shame. After her husband, Chris, finished teaching, 
he allows an opportunity for people to receive prayer. Luana asked two male leaders to join her in praying for Ross. She told him what she'd seen and heard from God. For a few moments, he made no response. And then he said, yeah, it's true. Luana said, the Lord's brought all of this out. He knows everything. He can still forgive you. She then turned the ministry time over to the two men and left. And a short time later, Ross gave his heart and past sins to Christ. It's like having power tools. And I don't know how long. Normally when people have got what we might say complicated backgrounds, it can take years to go through the layers and get to a point where the things that really need redemption are dealt with. But when God gives a gift by his spirit, cuts right through. It's like a power tool. The next chapter in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, is all about motive. The motive of love. Why? Why does God give spiritual gifts? And what should be in our hearts as we seek the work of the Holy Spirit, it should be compassion for people. Not so that I can chalk it up. I prophesied. I prayed for healing. I'm a miracle worker. Whatever it may be. But actually, there will be far more that we see of God's Spirit at work when it's compassion that motivates us. That's the second thing. These things are given for active service. This next picture requires a little bit of explanation. Uh, this is this is Madame Tussauds last Christmas, and uh, these waxworks have all been given different gifts for Christmas, and uh, it's just to make the point that diff- I found a yeah different indi- <laughs> different individuals get different gifts. Actually, these three guys, the waxworks that they depict, all have very different gifts as well, don't they? Um, Coming back to 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts that are listed here in the first part of the chapter, from verses 7 to 11, are very specifically manifestation gifts. It says in verse 7, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. So we're not talking in these few verses about the um, talents that people have that they carry right through life. We're talking very much more about the way in which the Holy Spirit comes and does something in a moment, working with someone to achieve a purpose, and then the moment's over, but the lasting blessing has been delivered. It's a manifestation gift. So no one, no one has the power of healing. If someone is blessed to have received the gift of healing, which is one of the gifts listed in this passage, that doesn't mean that they've got the power of healing. It rather means that they have a gift of cooperating with God as he works to heal people. That's how it goes. There's a number of different gifts here, aren't there? The message of wisdom, which is supernatural know-how. Sometimes we use the phrase, a word of wisdom. And uh, God sometimes gives us insight to know just what to do when otherwise we would have been completely stumped. And he loves to do that 
in order to resolve complex problems and not least complex problems in people's lives that are holding them stuck. A message of knowledge. We had one of these last week, didn't we? We sometimes call it a word of knowledge. Graham was here and had a word of knowledge for a, a guy who was sat over there and said, this is what's going on in your life. I found out afterwards it was right and it was a blessing. God has spoken to many of us in that way and used many of us in that way too. The gift of faith. Now, this just requires a little bit of understanding because surely we all have faith in Jesus to be saved, to trust him as our Lord and Saviour. So this means something a little bit more specific. There are sometimes specific moments as a manifestation of a gift of faith for something in particular. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, I've just got faith that we can pray for, whatever it may be, and there's, there's something given by God that makes all the difference. So that when we pray, when it's not just words, because we're kind of supposed to pray that, but it really is an engagement of our spirit, our heart, and our mind in praying for something that even five minutes ago, we wouldn't have been able to pray in that way. It's a gift of faith, and we find ourselves praying or sometimes even acting in ways that are beyond us, but are a manifestation of the spirit at work amongst us. Gifts of healing speaks for itself. Miraculous powers can be all kinds of things. God does very diverse miracles, sorting out people's practical problems, resolving relationships, providing for people, seeing a breakthrough in people's workplaces, all kinds of different things in order to show his glory. Prophecy, speaking out a revelation that God has given to you. Discerning between spirits, or distinguishing between spirits, is to do with a gift from God to see what's going on spiritually. Sometimes you'll hear somebody, if you hang around churches like ours, say things like, just see what the Holy Spirit's doing this morning is this. Or what's going on in that person's life is actually they've got a, there's a spirit of rebellion there that is just holding them. And, and that's what we need to pray about. We need to see some blessing for them. And that whatever, there's an insight into what's going on spiritually, which is a little bit different to prophecy. It's a little bit different to a word of knowledge. It's listed separately here. But again and again and again, it's something that has been a blessing. When God speaks and brings revelation in that way, it's possible to step into cooperating with him like never before. Yeah? Then the last two things, speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And this is actually one of the points that I felt I should pause take a little bit longer this morning, to talk about speaking in tongues. Although it doesn't come first in this list, it is actually, in many ways, the most basic of these spiritual gifts. It was the first gift given on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit came, they spoke in tongues. And we see that repeated again and again in the experience of the early church, as it's recorded in the book of Acts. And it's basic, not just because it came first and because it often comes first in the lives of Christians, but in fact, it works a bit differently in its relationship to the other gifts. When we pray in tongues, 
It supports and releases the other gifts in a way that doesn't quite work back the other way. It's not the case in quite the same way that where there are more words of knowledge and more healing, it releases the gift of tongues. But where the gift of tongues is exercised, it does release everything else. There are a number of points, even in these few chapters in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul seems to to either want to quench speaking in tongues or not to rate it very highly. It says towards the end of this chapter, doesn't it, there's this question, do all speak in tongues? The answer that's expected is no. In chapter 13, he says, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And... In chapter 14 and verse 5, Paul writes, he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. And so reading through these few chapters, you could come to the conclusion that actually this gift is kind of a bit of an also-ran gift, a sort of an optional extra. If you fancy that one, you might want to take it, but you know what? It's one of the lower value gifts in the pack. We need to understand the church that Paul was writing to. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth where people were treating this one gift as if it were the be-all and end-all. They would be super spiritual in their worship and pray out in tongues, expecting other people to listen as if that was the whole thing that needed to happen. And so Paul was bringing a corrective and saying, there are other gifts that achieve other things. And you need, Corinthian church, the things that those other gifts will bring you. But he also said in chapter 14, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Remember, he's writing here to a church that is renowned for its super spiritual, lengthy, continual use of speaking in tongues of treating that as if that's the be-all and end-all. And he says, well, anyway, I do it more than all of you. This is not a man who is in any way half-hearted about the benefit of speaking in tongues. There's no great technique to the gift of speaking in tongues. There's no great technique to praying for people or praying for yourself to receive that gift. It's just a simple prayer that's needed, asking for that gift in your own words and then waiting expectantly. Then, at some point, you do have to open your mouth. It's it's called speaking in tongues. It's not thinking in tongues. It It just doesn't work that way. And it seems to me that very often what people who desire the gift of tongues want is a two step process in which they can first of all think in tongues for a while and get used to all of that and feel confident in it. And then having got to that place, then begin to speak it out. I'm sorry. And I really wish it worked that way. 
I empathize with your... If you feel that way, I empathize. I really do. But it's not how it works. There isn't a gift of thinking in tongues. There is a gift of speaking in tongues. And so if you want it, you've got to open your mouth and say something. It's how it works. Opening your mouth, having asked God to do something and not knowing what's going to come out until you speak. It's a little bit nervous as a process. And you know what happens then? Is a, there's a whole range of things that can happen, actually. Having prayed with pe- for people to, to receive this gift, there's a whole number of things that can happen. At one end of the spectrum, if you like, is kind of inarticulate groaning. That, now, here we go. Inarticulate groaning can be an immensely spiritual thing. Romans 8.26 The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So if God Almighty, Holy Spirit, intercedes with groans, I am not going to have a downer on you if when you pray to speak in tongues, what comes out is an inarticulate groan. If that's a good enough prayer not only for God the Father to hear, but God the Holy Spirit to pray, that's a good enough prayer. It's one end of a spectrum of things that can happen. The other end of the spectrum is some people's experience is that it's like there's a, a sudden rush and a torrent of something that can, it's, it's impossible not to speak And to keep speaking, and a whole new language just rushes out. There's a a range of experiences, and there's various stopping-off points in between in different people's experience. Sometimes people get bits and parts of language. Think of um, one or two people I know who's who've been praying and speaking in tongues for years, and as far as I know, the entirety of what they pray out goes something like this. Like for ages. And I think, I don't know what's going on there. It's a little bit more articulate than the groan, and I know the groan's okay. Sometimes we talk about arrow prayers, don't we? I don't know if you've you know, I'm in a moment of crisis, arrow prayer quick one up to God. Well, maybe this is like a machine gun prayer <laughs> and, and, and God's chosen a language for that person and that word. I don't... Do you know what? It doesn't bear deep analysis. If you want to read a book that has analysed things thoroughly, Max Turner, who was on the faculty at um, London School of Theology, as it's now called, has written a really fat, thick book with psycholinguistic experiments and things all about. You can, you can read all of that. Um, it won't, at the end of the day, take you to a different place to what I've just said. Uh, you, you might feel more confident in what I've said. If you're one of those people with a questioning mind, there's a range of ways that things work out. And this is part of the risk, isn't it? I'd like to be one of those people that God gives a flowing language to. Please, God. 
because that looks a bit better and it feels like I'm doing a certain thing. Uh, but it's not always like that. Actually, there's a process of growth that goes on. The more we exercise this particular gift of speaking in tongues, the more God will give us. Um, when I uh, fur, what's the best way of saying this? I was going to try and sort of, try an attempt just to sort of demystify all of this, just speak in tongues a bit this morning. And I was saying, actually, where I'm at at the moment is there are several different languages that I find myself praying for different kinds of prayer. And then I realized I can't just turn that on and off. And in particular, there's a, there's a particular language that is a really powerful intercessory language. It sounds to me like an African tongue when I pray it, but I'm just speculating. I don't know, but it sounds like that to me. And, uh, but I, I was reflecting on this as I was cycling in here this morning. Uh, that particular manifestation of the Spirit, which I know is a powerful thing that God does when he works with me, I only get that, I realized, if I've been, first of all, praying for about 45, 60 minutes in tongues already, and then there's something else that comes from God. Some of you are nodding because you've had similar kinds of experiences. Like, there are depths here. There's more. And the route to more is to exercise what you've got. If you've got just a little bit, didn't we read last week in Zechariah 4, don't despise the day of small things. Take what you've got, exercise it, and ask that God would grow it. More than anything else that I know of, the gift of speaking in tongues plugs us in to the life of Christ. If we're going to be a branch connected into the vine, I have to say, I don't know of anything that does this more effectively in our experience. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, Paul says this about the gift of tongues. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He says that in the course of an argument about corporate worship and says it would be better if we edified each other. But he knows what the gift of tongues does. What it does is it builds us up. The testimony of many people speaking in tongues is that it's a little bit like plugging something into an electric socket, fresh connection with God, fresh power flowing. Um, I've, many of you, not every, all of you will know who Steve Thomas is. Steve Thomas was the founding pastor of the church here, remains, or has been my mentor for the last 20 years, remains a part of the church here, though he travels so much we rarely see him. But I've traveled with him a number of times, shared a bedroom with him, a number of times. The first thing, this is something I've learned from him, and I have to say it's becoming more and more my own practice as well. First thing that happens when he wakes up in the morning, (laughs) the day has started. Steve is awake. (laughs) Off we go. That's how it is. Then on these, these kind of trips, you're with people all the time, over breakfast, he's being plugged for spiritual wisdom, and it comes. He goes out to speak to different people, bring the word of God. It comes, the Holy Spirit comes. We're over lunch, people come with their complex problems they want help with. There is an insight and word of knowledge. Normally, you get to the end of the day, and it's when all the people who've been sick come for prayer. 
because they're sick, they haven't got into any of the meetings, but they don't want to let the day go by. So late at night, praying for people to be, pray, uh, to be healed. And it all begins with this, for, make the connection with God afresh each day. The normal process, the normal process is to speak in tongues before speaking to others. That's, that's normal Christianity. Christianity is always about the Holy Spirit. Normal process of the, using the gift of speaking in tongues is to start with it. That's why I've highlighted it this morning as a foundational matter. It flows into everything else. I don't know... I mean, I don't know how I personally, and I know lots of, there are people who have a different experience to me, I understand this, but personally, I don't know how I would ever preach without praying in tongues beforehand. I just wouldn't want to do it. I don't know that I could do it. That's how it feels to me. Um, yeah, again, some of you are nodding, and you, you, this is, in your own life and in different ways, this is your experience too. Okay, I've paused a bit longer on Christmas jumpers and the gift of tongues. We'll keep going, and we'll go a little bit faster again now. Verses 12 to 13, we are united by the one spirit that we drink. Paul lists off these different gifts in verses 4, sorry, in verses 7 to 11, and says, look, there's diversity, there's difference but then comes back in verse 12 and verse 13 to say, yeah, but there's one body, there's one Lord, there's one spirit. Jesus said to the woman at the well in Samaria, everyone who drinks this water, the water from the well they were stood at, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This living water is nothing less than the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit without measure. Water, you'll never be thirsty ever again. And we all drink together the one spirit. There's not a different spirit There's not like different qualities of Holy Spirit or something. Some get a gold standard Holy Spirit. Others get a silver standard or anything like that. No, 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 no. The same spirit that's right now enabling me to preach is in you. There's the truth. Same spirit. The same spirit that uh, manifested his presence and power through Graham giving that word of knowledge last week. That spirit... If you're a follower of Jesus, that spirit is in you. The same spirit that enables... Where's Dave Monday? Is he in here at the moment? Maybe he's outside still. I was just... The same spirit that enables Dave Monday to stand on the gate week by week, counting, getting here early on a Sunday morning as a father of young children, counting how we travel here so that we can fulfil our obligations to the city council... That spirit, because that's a work of the spirit too, let me tell you, that spirit is in you. Same spirit at work in all of us. So 
Here's a question. It's really my main question for this morning. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I hope so. Let's keep going. Verses 14 to 18. The body is not made up of one part but of many. The foot can't say, I'm not needed because I'm not a hand. The ear cannot say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not needed. Every part is needed. Verse 18. God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's not just that Christians have different experiences of the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's one spirit. There's something much more solid that's explained to us in this chapter, which is that we are a body. We are a body. Each local church, and this is about local churches, by the way. The, there are two levels at which the word church is used in the New Testament. There's the Church of Christ globally, and it's true that the Church of Christ globally is his body. But equally, the word church is used of a local gathering of believers. And here, the teaching about the church being a body is in the context of the local church. We've heard in the, read in the previous few chapters about how they worship when they come together. And the next few chapters will also talk about how they worship when they come together. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and saying, look, guys, you're not just a, a sort of a mosaic of different colors that sit alongside each other. You're not just threads in a tapestry, but you are a body. Every local church is a distinct body held together by relationships, and God deals with them as such. You read the beginning of Revelation, Jesus walking amongst the lampstands, there's this vision of Christ amongst his churches, local churches in distinct places, and he speaks words to them. He responds to the reality of who those local churches are. And in every body, every part has a distinct function that only it can play. Let me read you another little story here. Find the right page. I've actually folded over about three pages here. Here we go. This is a brilliant book, by the way. It's written by a guy called Gordon MacDonald, who years ago wrote a classic book called Ordering Your Private World. This book's called A Resilient Life. You may have heard me recommend it before. He just tells the story of a guy in his church called Dick Renard. And this is what he says. In the earliest days of the church's life, he served as superintendent of the Sunday school. But as the church program grew, it got much more complicated. And there came a moment when Dick had to admit that it was all bigger than him and he would have to step out of the job. He could have held on to the job and become an obstacle to the new thing that God was doing. But he had the courage and foresight not to put himself first. The next thing I knew, Dick Rickard had taken on a new responsibility. He would show up at the church building at 10 o'clock every night, six days a week, tour the buildings and make sure that every door was secure, every light turned off and the heating system was working. 
He lived exactly one mile from the church building and apart from the harshest weather conditions, walked from his home to the building each evening. Those of us who were there night after night became accustomed to seeing Dick making the rounds. When he showed up, we knew it was time to vacate the premises. The buildings were locking down. As Dick walked the halls and poked his head into each room, he would always, with no exceptions, have a cheery word, a faithful good night for every person he encountered. Occasionally, he would come across someone who was upset because a meeting had not gone well or they'd received a difficult piece of news. And that was Dick's cue to stop and talk and pray. Many were the stories I heard of people whose day was rescued in the very final moments because they bumped into Dick and he had a word of cheer for them. Find a biblical word that combines that set of responsibilities into a gift. Encouragement, mercy, maybe. I'm not sure that it's important to name the gift. He was just faithful, doing what he felt most natural doing, doing what got results and multiplied into blessing for lots of people. After Dick went to heaven, it was impossible to find someone to take his place. As I recall, the church added many thousands of dollars to its budget to pay a person to do what Dick did, lock the church. But there were no more stories of people's lives being touched as they made their way to their cars. Apparently, whatever the gift was, it died with him. That's how it works in the church. Everyone matters. Everyone has something unique to contribute. Uh, One of the things that I quite like doing when I'm traveling with Steve Thomas, it's a little, I wouldn't quite call it a hobby of mine, but um, when he uses sermon illustrations that make a good point but aren't true, I like to point it out to him. Um, having, and because having a scientific background, I, I, it happens with some, it happens now and again. And um, anyway, one of his, one of his, and I'm in this funny sort of a way honoring him, one of his illustrations is of this, that you go, if you, when you build a dry stone wall, there's a certain process that goes on. And I always thought, mm, you know, I wonder whether that's really what happens. Anyway, my brother-in-law has just been on a dry stone walling course because he lives in a manor cottage now and they have a dry stone wall and it needs maintenance and it's, it's true, apparently. It's absolutely true. This is how dry stone walling works. You have the wall, you have a pile of stones and uh, once you've picked the stone up, there's one rule which is you leave the stone on the wall. You, you never put that stone on a, oh, I'll use it later pile. Because if you do, then before long, most of those stones on that pile are on that pile. Because <laughs> very rarely do they just neatly fit into place. You have to knock a little bit off and a little bit there to then find its place in the wall. And that's what it's like for us as members of the body of Christ. A local church... There is room for... There may be a few corners need knocking off. Praise God. But if we start to think, well, there are some people that just don't fit, or if we start to think of ourselves, well, I don't fit, 
It's the easiest thing in the world to think that way. But if we think that way, we'll end up with next to no one fitting. The way that God treats us, every single one of us, he picks up, he turns us round. he says, well, there's the wall I'm going to put you into. There's the local church I want you to be part of. Hmm. Where are you going to fit? Which particular corners do I need to knock off? And then he wants to locate us in to be part of what he is building. Every part matters in this spiritual body. Thirdly, all care for all. This bloke's got a problem with his toe and he's bothered as a whole person. Mother Teresa said this, we care more about the tiniest pain in our little finger than we do about all the suffering in the world. Isn't that true? Paul, writing here to the Corinthians, picks up on that reaction that we have, that the instinctive concern that we have for every part of our body and says, yeah, and that is the normal reaction of a Christian to pain in the life of any other member of the church of which they're a part. That's how it's meant to be. In 2 Corinthians 11, I won't read it now, but you may wish to read it later, there's this list of all the things that have gone wrong in Paul's life, the number of times he's been beaten and shipwrecked and all of that, all of his sufferings. And then he says, verse 28, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Here's a man who had all of the people in not just one church, because he was part of this church planting movement, all of the people in all of these churches were in his heart. Now, you might say to me, that sounds a bit unreal. Again, there's a process of growth that God wants to take us on. For me, the journey began a bit like this. When I was a graduate student, I took on past being a, a personal pastor, a mentor to one other guy for the first time and showed some care for him, and he got into my heart. We shared some life together. Not a long time after that, I was asked to take on leading a group of people. There are 10 or 12 people that Bev and I led together as a community group, as we called them then. And then as the years went by, we got the opportunity to connect that group up with several other groups in East Oxford. And at each stage of that growth, the, the, the growth, the, the increase in the number of people, that the new people all found a place in our hearts. It got to a point some years ago where all of you are in our hearts. That, that, if I can put it this way, that's why, once upon a time, it was felt appropriate to appoint me to lead the church. Because I, I care. That's like the most fundamental requirement. If you were to ask, when we decide who might be appropriate to appoint as elders in the church, this is the most telling thing. Who cares for the whole church, not just a bit of it? Most people you know, care for the bit that they see. Who has got an expansive view to care for the whole? And it's not just something for elders to do. But what God asks of all of us is to keep on growing, not to just rest content and say, well, here are my five or my ten friends. Someone over there's 
suffering and needs prayer, but I'm sure they've got their own small group. God wants us to care for the whole. And as Mother Teresa highlighted, to have that instinct that says, where there's pain anywhere, we respond. Okay, nearly done. Here's the last thing. The end of the chapter, basically, desire more. This list at the end of the chapter, and Paul says, look, not all of you are apostles, not all of you are prophets, not all of you are teachers. And so what he's saying is, don't get hung up. It's supposed to be Oliver Twist in the picture. Don't get hung up on, you know, whether you've got the gifts that someone else has got. Not everyone has everything, and that's okay. But he finishes by saying this, eagerly desire. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Jesus was apostle, prophet, teacher, miracle worker healer, able to help others. I also believe he was really rather administrative. He sent people out in twos with a clear brief, made sure the upper room was ready for the Last Supper. It's more administrative than a lot of us. So he's got that gift as well. Jesus is the whole deal. Jesus has all the gifts. And he says, follow me. And so there's room for us to grow in whatever way God desires Whatever gift, let's not place limits on what God will do amongst us by saying, it's one thing to say, I haven't yet received the gift of prophecy. It's another thing to say, I am not. Uh, End of. God invites us to have an openness to receive whatever gift he wants to give and not just an openness, but a desire for more. So we're going to pray now. We're going to do it this way. Um, Do any of you know what I mean by a fire tunnel? Um, That's good. Actually, having having talked this morning about um, drinking of the Spirit, we should probably call this like a river of life or something instead of a fire tunnel. But um, to those of you who know what I'm talking about, want to come up the front and get started, and I'll explain as you come.